Good morning again. It is good to see you. And uh, how about the Jeff High School Varsity Singers? Let's give it up for them. They will be returning to share more of their musical gifts with them. And this is sort of a teaser, as I understand, for next weekend, which, by the way, is Mother's Day weekend, and they will have a concert Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. So you can go to all three. Uh, I don't know if there's a special deal for that or not, but you can at least make one of those and uh, take your, your favorite mother to that, okay? And uh, bless them and be blessed yourself. So great to have uh, you in God's house. We're going to take a few moments and look at God's Word, and they're going to come back, and they're going to bless us with more music. We are doing a series on home improvement. I don't know if, uh, the, how many of you out there are like me do some home improvement projects for spring. I do fall and the spring, and so spring. And so we've been looking at God's Word and looking at how we can improve our own lives, our own home lives. And uh, we've been in Romans 12 last week and this week. It's one of the most practical sections in all of Scripture and lofty as well. And so in Romans 12, 9 through 13, it says this, Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good, be devoted to one another in love, honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer, share with God's people who are in need, practice hospitality. May the Lord bless his word to our hearts and minds this morning. Well, that's short but practical. We're looking at home improvement and uh, reignite your passion for living. Heard about this 92-year-old man who went to the doctor, and the doctor gave him some advice, and a few days later, the doctor happened to see him in the, in the park, and he was with this beautiful young woman, and he was a great attitude, and the doctor came up to him and said, man, you look great. And the man said, yeah, I'm just following your advice. He said, find a hot mom and be cheerful. He said, no, I didn't say that. I said, you've got a heart murmur, be careful. Well, you know, attitude can change everything, and uh, we forget that sometimes. And so I think one of the first keys to reigniting our passion for living is to live with passion and to keep living with passion. Someone once said that when college students leave college, they leave college with 1% knowledge and 99% enthusiasm, and 40 years later, when they retire from the workforce, they leave with 99% knowledge and 1% enthusiasm. What if, yeah, I see a lot of people shaking, it happens, please don't let it happen to you, okay? But uh, the truth is, maybe we can have 99% knowledge and 99% Enthusiasm. I know, it adds up to more than 100%, but, you know, passion is a force multiplier in our life, and Paul seems to know that. The truth is that in a lot of our lives, and all of us, we go through some hurts and through some disappointments. Um, sometimes we experience illness, sometimes the loss of a loved one. Sometimes we, we lose a, a job or we lose a friend, and all kinds of things happen. And so we gradually sort of harden our heart. In fact, C.S. Lewis in his uh, book, Four Love, says that, you know, it's so easy to do that. He says that what happens sometimes is we just make our heart sort of a, a rock. We almost put it in a casket where we're safe and secure. He says, but when you do that, put your heart in a place where you can't be hurt, where you can't be disappointed anymore, you will become a rock and your heart will not be able to love anymore. And I would add not just love, but live life. And so how do we live with passion? I think we just need to acknowledge that sometimes in life there's going to be hurts, there's going to be disappointments in life, but don't let it steal your passion. 
The French call it joie de vie, which I love. Everything sounds better in French or Latin. That was, I, felt, I feel educa- more educated already from having listened to Latin this morning, but what this morning is stealing your fashion or your joy de vie in life? And Paul, remember, in this moment when he's writing this to the church in Rome and to us, Paul has gone through a lot of hurts and a lot of disappointments in life. He's lost a lot of friends, a lot of loved ones. And here he is, he's going to give his testimony to, eventually, to the Roman emperor and be willing to give his life for his faith, but he's still full of passion. He's been put in prison. He's been beaten almost to death a number of times, but he says this, and I want to just go through it, walk through it for the second, as sort of the first section on passion, sort of like love in action. He says, love must be sincere or honest and true, uh, and, and sincere, that actually comes from the Latin there, which is without wax. So sometimes a sculptor who was of lesser sort of ability or had a bad day when they were sculpting marble would put wax in it so you couldn't see the scratches. So sincere, that was how they would sign it, which meant without wax. This is my best, and you can look all over. There's no scratches. And I don't think Paul's saying you need to be perfect, but Paul's saying, listen, I'm real. I'm vulnerable. I'm out there. And so uh, love must be sincere. Don't try to cover it up. Be who you are. And then hate what is evil. Now, notice he doesn't say hate people, okay? Really, really important. Hate evil. Hate wrong. Hate injustice in the world. Uh, but don't hate people. You know, Martin Luther King Jr. was passionate about justice, but he didn't hate people. He loved people, and that was a source of passion, and he was an unending full of passion to work for that, even willing to give his life that we would have a, a better world and more equality in our world for all people. And then Paul says to cling or hold on to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Well, that's a pretty big to-do list right there, isn't it? But it's like he boils it down in verse 11. And I want to read this from the New International Reader's Version because I love this. In fact, I think it's so great. I have it above my goals on my mirror at home. And it says this, never let the fire in your heart go out. Keep it alive. Serve the Lord. I'm going to say that again because he summarizes that in verse 11. Never let the fire in your heart go out. Keep it alive serve the Lord. Wow. It is so hard to do, but Paul is encouraging us, and Paul lived an example of faith and life that did exactly that. Blaise Pascal, if you're a person that likes physics or math or all kinds of engineering, Blaise Pascal lived in the 19th century France and was a, a genius in math. In fact, he wrote the the pensées, even in philosophy, which is some of the greatest, most beautiful sort of poetic philosophy there is. And uh, he became a Christian in life and um, he was very passionate about his faith and wrote some of the things that sort of supported that and, of course, uh, and also designed sort of an underground system in Paris and uh, did some things for geometry that no one else has duplicated. It was just an amazing genius. And he died at a relatively young age, which was 39. And his sister was going through his things. She was sort of preparing him for burial. And she felt in his shirt that he always wore this kind of jacket thing. And, uh, and she felt a lump right next to his heart. And she realized there was something sewed in there. And so she carefully unstitched it. And she found inside, right next to his heart, a piece of paper that had a date on it. And it said, fire, fire. And it was the date that he gave his life to Christ, became a believer. And it said, fire, as if he wanted to keep it always next to his heart and never lose the passion that he had 
for his faith. And indeed, if you read his book, Pensees, great, not just in philosophy, but a passion for life and a passion for faith. Have you faded in your faith? Have you faded in your passion for faith and life? I think Paul would say, reignite the passion for life, even though we've gone through some disappointments in life, even though we've gone through some hurts in life. When I look at all you young people, I'm not the only one who's so envious of all of, not just your talent but, uh, and your good looks, but your, your passion for, uh, for music, right? I know sometimes, you know, early in the morning, you had to get them tuned up here a little bit. <laughs> and, uh, and you probably remembered in the turn of the century whenever you wrote that beautiful piece, Barbara Allen, um, our passion. And I just encourage you to keep the passion and to remind each other, I'm not asking anyone to gloss over any of the hurts and disappointments in life. We need to be real, like Paul said. Be sincere. Don't try to cover stuff up. Be real. But when you share that, rather than trying to withdraw and become a rock in life, a rock or an island, we become more real, more vulnerable, more able to love with a kind of passion that we need to have in life that is just, just such a powerful, powerful thing in life. And I think that it inspires other people. One of the people that we lost at a young age in this church was Lisa Stree, and uh, she was a high school student at McCutcheon, was a great track star, went on, she just ran marathons, and she just had a, a joy that was um, contagious, if you will, just spilled over, and unfortunately her life was taken too early, but her faith was on. And then Grant House, whom Tamara shared this morning, and we had a celebration for Grant's house, the ministry that's after his name, and Lisa's trail goes around here to engage the community. But uh, Grant had a tremendous passion too. And he overcame in so many ways, so many obstacles in life, and had these goals, but he never lost his, his passion. And I think in the celebration, as we were celebrating, I was just thinking, just reminded in so many moments um, of his life, because I remember them, whether it was at Bible study on Wednesday evening or sharing after worship, that he always had this infectious smile and a passion for life, even though he had faced so many obstacles in life. We're not alone when we face hurt and disappointment in life. Jesus himself, when asked what the key to life was, the greatest command said what? Echoing Deuteronomy, the Hebrew Scriptures, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Everything that you have. In fact, for the strength part, it's actually very, very. That's what it means. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, all your strength, and your neighbor as yourself. And when you do that, you got it. That's on target. That's the mark. All the prophets, all the Scriptures, all of that to have that kind of passion for loving and serving God and loving and serving our neighbor. And I think the second thing is, the first thing is to live with passion is to stay positive, which is related to that because it's so easy to become negative. Uh, for the pilots out there, see a few of them, and I have my Purdue wings on that were given to me. Uh, I don't get a chance to fly that much, but uh, an attitude, attitude is not just our positive attitude, but attitude is also the angle of the nose of a plane, of the fuselage, right? And so where the plane is pointed is where it's going to go, right? And so we say, if you're a pilot, attitude determines altitude. Attitude determines altitude. And it's true in our life, too. And they use it for spacecrafts, too, in a little different way. But again, attitude determines altitude. In our own life, where are you facing? Not that you aren't occasionally buffeted by the storms of life. Those will take place. 
The eagle is one of the great birds. Unlike other birds that tend to roost on electric wires and trees and what have you, the eagle is able to take off and soar over the storm clouds. And the reason for that is an eagle locks its wings and points its head upward and soars with that attitude over the storm clouds. We can be eagles. We can soar on the wings of eagles if we trust God and have attitude. Not that we can overcome anything, but with our lives and with God, we can overcome anything with God's help. Listen to what Paul says here from 12 and 13, which is all about having a positive attitude. He said, when you hope, be joyful. When you suffer, be patient. When you pray, be faithful. Share with God's people who are in need. Welcome others into your home. Or another version, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer, Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. That positive attitude that just touches other people's lives in so many different ways. How are you at facing the challenges and obstacles of life? Do you close off your heart? Do you become negative? Uh, I know you probably know some people like I do, and you just know that... um, No matter what happens, there's something that's negative there. There's always some downside to something. And then there's other people who are always positive. I share that with you. And, of course, at Grant's house, we had number 54. He had these goals, more than 100 goals. But number 54 is, thank God every day that I'm alive. Despite the challenges, despite the adversity, despite all those kinds of things, to thank God every day that I'm alive. That's a gift. No matter if there's storm clouds, no matter if there's sunshine, that we can thank the Lord that we're alive, that God loves us, that God has a plan and purpose for life, and that God will always be with us. And to open our heart to other people who are around us going through some things too. I heard the story that I love about this monastery. And in time, it had, it had been a flourishing monastery, but over time, it had dwindled. And it was down to only six monks. It was an abbot and five other monks, and so they got around the table. They were all well over 70, and they just got with the abbot, who's the head monk, and said, we don't know what we're going to do. We have this beautiful chapel and beautiful grounds, and there used to be people coming all the time, but no one comes anymore, and we don't have any new sort of uh, novitiates who are going to be in this and monks with us, and so we don't know what to do. And the abbot said, well, I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to, I'm going to go into the village. I'm going to walk into the village, and I'm going to sit down with, uh, with a rabbi that's there, and we'll just chat. I'll have coffee. And so the abbot goes into the village, and he finds the rabbi, and um, they were good friends. And so they sat down together, and he said, I need some advice. He said, we have this beautiful monastery, as you know, but everybody's over 70. And uh, no young prospects in mind. People don't come anymore. It used to be flourishing. And uh, we need some advice. And the rabbi said, well, let's open the scriptures. And so they opened the scriptures up. And they opened up to the story of Abraham. When Abraham was up in years and had been promised a, a son, the son hadn't come yet, and he welcomed strangers into his tent and served them. He and his wife Sarah served them something, and there was a promise given to them that their son would indeed come, and a year from then that God would be there, and it was confirmed in the night sky. As Abraham walked out and saw the stars, he felt the whisper of God come to his heart and reaffirm that as well. And the rabbi looked at the abbot and said, you know, here in the Hebrew Scriptures, it reminds us, too, that the Messiah will come as a stranger. And so I leave that with you. And so the abbot thought about that. He went back and sat down with his other monks, 
got around the table and I said, what did the rabbi say? Well, the rabbi said that opened Hebrew scriptures, the story of Abraham, and reminded us that Messiah will come as a stranger. And they all begin to think, Messiah will come as a stranger. Wow. And so they decided what they'd do is to sort of look for the Messiah among them. And so when young people would come to visit that, well, they'd all of a sudden be welcoming to those young people and invite them into the to the little lovely retreat center and to the chapel. And uh, when they saw someone picnicking, they would offer to take them something to, to drink and something to refresh them with. And, and uh, they would welcome people along the outskirts, and pretty soon it was flourishing. And and uh, so a year later, the abbot goes back to the rabbi, and they sat down for coffee again. And the rabbi said, well, how is everything going? And uh, have you seen Messiah? And the abbot said, well, we haven't seen Messiah. But, you know, with that in mind, we see a stranger. And we started welcoming them, and we started to share our meals and break bread with them and to take them things. And, and now all of our grounds are full of young people having picnics and we see older people renewing their love and renewing their vows in the chapel. We do retreats, and we even have some younger people that are becoming monks. And the rabbi nodded and said, the blessing of God. And I think in our own lives, so many times, it's easy to make our circle of friends smaller and smaller and smaller and be more and more negative about truly the things. As we look around our world, sometimes there are things to be negative about. I'm not trying to cloud that over, but there are so many things to be positive about, and you and I can choose the attitude that we have. And if we have the attitude that the rabbi had and encouraged the abbot and the monks to have, all of a sudden we'll find that our circle of friends and our area of mission ministry grows and grows, and we'll touch other people's lives. Paul knew what it was like to face adversity and challenge and difficulty, Yet he was able to keep a positive attitude. He was able to welcome strangers, encourage us to do that, to have a kind of love that is not only lofty and beautiful and personal, but also practical, that would include those that are different than ourselves, that would reach out to neighbors and strangers, those unlike all of us. Today, I encourage all of us to reignite the passion for living. Whether we're young or old or anywhere in between, we've all had some hurts. We've all had some disappointments in life, but not to let our hearts and lives become like a stone or an island, hardened and distant and remote, but to open our lives and allow them to reignited with passion and reignited with a positive attitude. And if we do, life can change in a beautiful and wonderful way, even as Paul challenges us to do. And I want to come back to that one verse that I love so much. Never let the fire in your heart go out. Keep it alive serve the Lord. And Jesus' words, the greatest command is also the key to life. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength, and your neighbor as yourself. I'm going to close with this story about Michelangelo. Michelangelo, as you probably know, great painter, great sculptor, his calling, he believed, was to be a sculptor. He really kind of dismissed painting by and large. But one day the Vatican invited him over, and they put a project in front of him. And it was to paint the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel. And he turned it down. He said, I'm not a painter, I'm a sculptor. And besides, that's the ceiling. But no one really looks at the ceiling. And Pope and the powers that be said, well, think about it. And so he went and thought about it, and he came back and he said, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it. I'm going to 
do this. And it was supposed to be, you know, how do you paint your ceiling? <laughs> supposed to be pretty simple. But he came up with this grand scheme. And it took him years to paint the Sistine Chapel. And he put aside a lot of the sculpting work that he did. He was a magnificent sculptor, which informed much of his painting. And if you've seen this, the ceiling, which I've been privileged to see, it's just breathtaking from all the world, from creation on in there. And someone remarked, after just being stunned by the work of Michelangelo, he said, I decided that I was going to do it and do with everything that I had. And someone said, well, you painted the corners. No one painted the corners. No one sees those corners, he says, but God sees the corners. And if you look at him, everybody looks at the corners. You can look it up online later today. I can tell you what it's all in. But from everything from the creation of humanity to all the tour de force of the world in the ceiling because he decided that something that wasn't maybe his perfect calling was something he would pour his faith and life in, and he transformed his own life left a legacy, but everyone who's ever walked into that Sistine Chapel is stunned and looks up rather than looks down. He had a passion. He had a positive attitude. Look up, don't look down, like Michelangelo. And know that whatever that we face, because we do face some difficulties in life, we always have things that we can be passionate about. We always have things we can be positive about. And more than anything else, we can treasure the fact that God loves us and is willing to give us life. God has a plan and purpose for our lives, and God will see us through whatever adversity, difficulty, and challenge that we face, and you can always have that joy to be if you'll just allow passion to flourish and you have a positive attitude. We join me in prayer. Lord, we thank you for your love and your grace. We do face adversity and challenges, difficulty, even as the Apostle Paul is, and even as our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ did. But you are with us through it all. You have a plan and purpose for our life. You blessed us with gifts and talents, and you want us to flourish in all of life, even though we do face challenges and adversity. So we pray this in your name. And all God's people said, Amen.